Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Welcome to our church this morning. You woke up and saw a beautiful day the Lord had created for you. And I can think of no better thing to do on this beautiful day than to give God glory for giving us breath in our lungs to worship Him and blood flowing through our veins to be reminded of His blood that was shed for us. Amen. To God be the glory. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I want you to take your Bibles out and I want you to be ready to go through several of the Gospels this morning. We're going to be taking a scriptural tour today. So if you have your Bible and you have your handheld device, your phone or whatever you have with you, I'd like for you to take it and I'd like for you to hold it up above you like this. Got your phone, whatever it is. I want you to hold it up. Hold your Bible up. And I want you to say this. Thank you, Father, for working in my life, even when I'm not aware. I want you to say it again. Thank you, Father, for working in my life, even when I am not aware. Amen. There are two ways that the Lord interacts with with us in our lives. And both of them are supernatural. And this morning I want to just speak to you. You have notes that that you were given as you came in the building in your programs this morning so that you can be like James, a doer of the word, interacting with the word, not just a hearer of the word. I want to talk to you about those invisible invisible works of God. Those two ways that God works supernaturally in our lives, first of all, is that miraculous way. Better, It's the better known way. It's the one that we prefer. It's the one that we really want to see active in our lives, this miraculous way. And what is that? That's when God injects Himself and steps into human time and human space and He alters and interrupts the events, natural, naturally occurring events, for His purpose to inject His will into our life, whether it's healing or a miraculous event or something that God does that cannot be explained, God works in our lives in those ways. And let me tell you, the Bible is filled with those type of interventions. The Bible's filled with that. There are people in this room who could testify to the fact of God's miraculous intervention in their life. It cannot be explained any other way. God did it. He interjected Himself in my life and there's no other explanation that God did it. He was responsible. But there's another way that God supernaturally acts in our lives. And that way is the providential way. He works providentially. And I want you to understand something this morning as I just share this message with you that I believe is going to help many of you who have thought, you know what, I don't know if God's really at work in my life or not. I'm not sure if I see God's hand anywhere because it seems to be invisible. Well, I will just tell you, friend, just as you raised your Bible or your phone or whatever you did this morning, 
And you said, thank God that you are working in my life even when I was unaware. I can assure you that God is constantly at work providentially in your life and in mine. No less supernatural. But I'll tell you, it's not nearly as flashy as a miracle that comes at just the right moment. But God's supernatural power of providence still works. And what is that? It means that God takes the ordinary events of your life, the regular day-to-day conversations and your interactions with hundreds of people every week and every day, And He weaves those actions and those conversations and those thoughts all together in order to accomplish His will in your life. Working providentially, weaving those things together. The problem is, is most of the time, God works providentially in our lives. We are usually unaware. We don't see His hand moving because many times the movement of His hand is very slow. A miraculous event is quick, it happens, everybody notices, but providential work that God does in your life is slow, and it sometimes causes us a little bit of anxiety because we wonder, is God really working? This morning, I just want to help you to see something through the story of, of what this week is really all about. We're going to look at the scriptures to a very important event, the death and the burial of Jesus. It's so important, it's mentioned in all of the Gospels. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at four different chapters. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. I told you you'd need your Bibles this morning. And we're going to see how God weaves all of these Gospel accounts together and His actions and all of these happenings that took place during that week, this Passion Week of Christ, We're going to see how God works His promises and fulfills His will out in the events that led up to the resurrection. So let me just give you the context as we begin. At this point in our readings that we're going to see, Jesus has already been crucified. He's been arrested. He's been betrayed by Judas. He's been taken, beaten. He's been scourged by the Roman whip. He's also been nailed to the cross, and He's hanging upon the cross. If you look in John chapter 19, verse 31, the Scripture says, It was the day of preparation, which means that it was the day before the Sabbath. It was a Friday. It was a high day. It was a holy day. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath. The reason why it was a special Sabbath is because Passover and the Sabbath happened on the same day. It doesn't always occur because Passover is the 14th or the 15th of Nisan, the Jewish calendar. But it just so happened that this week, on this particular day, during the lifetime of Jesus after the trial of Jesus, after the the sentencing of Jesus, after the coming of Jesus, that it just so happened that Passover and the Sabbath happened on the same exact day. Continue reading. And because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Now, why would they ask this? Well, it's because the Jews did not want 
bodies to be visible or open or left out after sundown because of the Passover. It was a Jewish law in Deuteronomy chapter 21. No dead body can be, can be exposed on Sabbath. So they had to take those bodies down. And the Jews said, Pilate, you need to break the legs of these individuals so that they can die. And at this moment in John's writing, there are people still standing around the cross. There are still the women who are still there gazing upon Jesus. Look at verse 32. So the soldiers therefore came and they broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. They would take an iron mallet, basically, and they would hit them as hard as they could in the shins of their legs and break their shins so that the weight of their body would fall upon their, their arms and their torso and what they would do was asphyxiate themselves because they couldn't breathe the weight. They would push themselves up with this. So they would break their legs that would induce and expedite their death. And so Pilate gives this order. Look at verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and they found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now that's important. It's important for you to understand it's important for us to know because Jesus was already dead. They did not break his legs. They did not break a bone in Jesus' legs. Look at verse 34. Instead, what did they do? Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it was given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. Let me tell you something. All through this story, all through this week, this incredible historic event that Jesus gave his life what God is doing all the way through is he is fulfilling scripture that's the first point there on your notes God is fulfilling his word everything that he has said in the past is taking place everything is being fulfilled the scripture says that the soldiers rather than than breaking his legs that they took a spear and they thrust it up into his side they pierced him because he was already dead. And the reason why they did that is because those soldiers knew if they took Jesus off that cross and he wasn't completely dead, there would be a problem. They would be on the cross the next day. So they wanted to verify and make sure that he was dead. All through this story, God is verifying his word. The Bible says that as they pierced Jesus' side, that a sudden flow of blood and water came out. I can't help but recall the psalmist that says in Psalm 69, verse 20, that he was scorn has broken my heart. Your scorn has broken my heart, referring to the Messiah's broken heart. Not only was Jesus' heart emotionally broken for the lost people of Jerusalem and those who had rejected him, but his heart literally, friends, exploded within his physical body from the strain and the stress and the heartache that he had for his people. And as they pierced his side, blood and water gushed out 
of His body, that flow of blood that scattered all over the foot of that cross for us. Verse 35 says, The man who saw it was given testimony. His testimony is true. And look at verse 36 again. So that Scripture would be fulfilled. Been talking for the last several weeks about everything must be fulfilled. John or Luke chapter 24. Everything must be fulfilled. Everything happened in perfect detail. God knew every detail of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. He knew every detail that would take place. Every every uh, event that happened, every circumstance, God knew it all ahead of time. It happened so that Scripture would be fulfilled, so that His Word would be fulfilled. You see, in Psalm chapter 34, verse 20, the Scripture uh, tells us that He will protect all of His bones, speaking of the Messiah to come, and not one of them will be broken, not one bone Thousands of years before, the psalmist writer said, not one bone of the Messiah will be broken. And sure enough, not one bone was broken. Jesus became the Passover lamb. It just so happened that Jesus was crucified on Passover on the same day that they were slaughtering uh, all of the lambs for the sins of the nation of Israel for the blood of the Lamb to flow. It just so happened that Jesus was hanging upon the cross with the blood flowing from His head and from His hands and from His feet and His side like the Passover Lamb that could not take away all of the sins of it. It was just a, a temporary fix. Jesus Christ became the permanent Passover Lamb. And that day the Old Covenant changed to the New Covenant. Jesus was now the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. It happened exactly the way God intended. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10, thousands of years before said these words about the Messiah. They will look on me, the one whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him. God saw through the portals of time His Word being fulfilled in every detail, not with His legs broken, but His side pierced, verifying His death, verifying the story that God's Word that was given thousands of years before in history, that God was still fulfilling His Word all the way up to the very moment that Jesus died on the cross. Friends, here's what I want you to see. As you walk through this story, I want you to see and realize how God was providentially working in order to accomplish something very supernatural. The players of the story in, during the event as it was taking place may not have been aware of what God was doing. They may not have recognized the hand of God directing all of the steps and all of this process at the same time. But God was multitasking all of it, overseeing every bit of it, validating Christ's death, validating the Scriptures and His Word, working supernaturally in order to accomplish His purpose. Can I just ask a question? Are you aware of God's providential working in your life today? Are you conscious to the fact how He is fulfilling His Word in your life? 
how He is supplying your need, how He is affirming your faith, how He is encouraging you, how He is leading you, how He is guiding you, how He is fulfilling and filling your life. I want you to know that in Scripture, in the Word of God, God makes promises. And in His Word, every promise that He has made is going to be fulfilled. And that's why what we need to do as we look at the Word of God and we apply that, we move that from a public Sunday morning preaching service to a personal, individual devotion where God speaks to you from His Word. And I want to remind you, friend, God is fulfilling His Word in your life, whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it or not. Those prayers that you've been praying that He said He's going to answer, He's going to fulfill His Word because God's Word, as Isaiah said, would not return empty. It will not return void. What God says He will do, friend. It's not just a great preaching idea. It is personal. It's personal. What has God promised you? What's God laid upon your heart and said He would do in your life? He's going to complete it, friends. So don't give up. Don't give up. God's working. Oh, but pastor, I just don't see it happening. I've been waiting for so long. Hold on, friend. God's word will not return void. It will not return empty. God is held and bound by His word and His promises. He's bound by His promises. They will not fail. When God says He would provide for you and supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, friends, you can take that to the bank. He's going to provide for you. He's going to, he's going to show you what you need to do. One of our deacons in our church, everybody knows less. he's been praying about a job situation in his life for over a year. And every Wednesday, we kind of have the pastor and Les sit down because he's usually here early. He comes into my office. And I'm going to tell this because he's over with kids today. He's working in this job that's just killing him. He's thankful for it, but it's a challenge. The climate that he works in is challenging for him walked in yesterday and he said pastor just be praying for me i said what he said just out of nowhere another company called me out of nowhere this week and they said people have been talking about you we think we might want to interview you and hire you for this job this job is not a one hour commute each way it's five minutes from his house when the lord said He will provide for you. And when He says He will make a way for you, you can take it to the bank, my friend. He is for you. He's not against you. He is wanting to set your soul to prosper and to guide the steps of your feet. You can be assured that God's Word is working in your life. Even when you cannot see it, the Lord is at work. I look at our church, and sometimes I say, oh God, are you working? I want you to know this. He's at work. 
And I can honestly say as the pastor, I don't know exactly what he's doing. But I do know this. He's doing. He's doing. He's doing. The Lord is fulfilling His Word. He will fulfill His Word. He'll always fulfill His Word. And that's why I encourage you, know His Word. Because when you know His promises, then He is obligated to fulfill them in your life. Somebody say amen. Let's keep reading. Luke chapter 23. The story continues in Luke chapter 23. Verse 50 says, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. Biblical scholars don't even know where that town is, to be honest. They think it may be the same hometown as Samuel, but they're not sure. He was a member of the council. He was a prominent man. He was Jewish nobility. Joseph was a high-ranking high person. He was a business leader, a part of this ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He was a part of the group that actually condemned Jesus that night in the middle of the night. And here he is showing up again. He was a good and righteous man. Now that's important as Luke mentions that because he describes Joseph in very positive terms. He uses the Greek word diakonos. That diakonos is the same word that the centurion, as he looked upon Jesus dying on the cross, he said, surely this is a diakonos man, a righteous man. Surely this man is righteous, is godly. And Luke describes Joseph in a very positive light, very high terms, using that word righteousness. You know, I thought about that because you don't have a righteousness in yourself. Righteousness doesn't come from your own works. As Isaiah says, our righteousness is filthy rags. We have to possess the righteousness of Christ. And that's why I believe that, you know, if, if a person puts their faith and we give God our sin, He gives us His righteousness. And if you apply that to Joseph's life, it's safe to conclude that Joseph most likely was, at some point, he became a believer for sure. Something had to have happened in his life. We don't know exactly, but we know something happened. He was this righteous man, verse 51, who had not consented to their decision and action. Speaking of the Sanhedrin that sent us Jesus. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. Joseph was really, as Matthew says and John say, Joseph was a secret follower of Jesus. What you could call a learner. He was just... He was just trying to make his mind up there for a while. Trying to decide if he wanted to move from being just a hearer of Jesus and a hearer of the story to becoming a believer of Jesus. He'd not consented to their decision, Luke says, because he may have been disgusted by it. We don't know if Joseph stood in the corner while they made this decision, if he even voted 
But he was horrified by what he saw. But somewhere along the way, Joseph comes to faith. And that secret follower of Jesus becomes one of the boldest men in the story of Jesus' burial. That boldness undoubtedly marks a follower of Jesus. Because a person won't stand for their preferences, but they will die for their convictions. And that's what Joseph was willing to do. This secret learner all of a sudden becomes bold. He comes out of the shadows. Flip back to Mark chapter 15. The story continues in Mark chapter 15, verse 43. I told you we're weaving this all together. We're we're uniting all of the stories into one. And Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Now, I want you to realize that this this event of Christ's burial, crucifixion and burial, it happened in a very short period of time. Jesus wasn't on the cross for days, just mere hours. This event that took place, this culmination of God redeeming mankind, it did not take it long. It wasn't a long, drawn-out process. It, and it was a very short period of time. But Joseph plays a very prominent role because it took incredible courage for him to do what he did. And as the soldiers are leaving Pilate to go out and to break the legs of the criminals and those who hung on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea is walking into Pilate, probably passing each other along the way. A bold move. Joseph didn't know what it might cost him. Being a prominent member of the council... He could lose his seat on the council, this prominent position in the community. Being a a wealthy businessman, it could cost him business. It could cost him his livelihood. He could be a marked man because Pilate could tell him no. And then everybody would know where Joseph stood. It was a strange request, by the way, because when a person in the Roman days was executed as a criminal, their bodies were taken and they were not even given to the family. A criminal that was suffered from capital punishment, their bodies were taken and they were thrown into the valley of Hinnom, which was the little valley between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. They were thrown into that valley and their bodies would just lay there in the dump. It was the city dump. It's where where the city would take all of their refuse. The Romans would take those bodies and throw them in the dump as an illustration. Hey, don't mess with the Roman law. Don't be a criminal. And so it was a very unlikely request. And even with the impossible Likelihood, with the odds stacked against him, Joseph walks in before Pilate, the ruling praetorate of the entire Roman world, standing there. He asks him, asks him for the body of Jesus. Verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus had already died. 
So summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. Once again, not just did this situation happen in a very rapid amount of time, it was a very close proximity. A lot of people think, oh, well, Jesus walked 10 miles to, the, to, the, to Calvary. That's not true. He walked down the Via Dolorosa through the streets of Jerusalem, and just there, just outside Jerusalem, wasn't a huge, it's not like walking from downtown Dallas all the way to Denton. It wasn't anything like that. It was a very close proximity because when, when Pilate hears Joseph asking for the body of Jesus that had already expired, he sends for the centurion. And it doesn't take long for the centurion to come right back. Yes, he's dead. He was surprised and he wanted to verify it. Flip over to Matthew chapter 27. Verse 59, and Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud. And he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut. Which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and he went away. This man takes his own tomb, knew that he had cut out of the rock. I could think of no greater illustration of the providence of God than this part of this story. Of God working behind the scenes through the course of time, of months, even years, to fulfill His Word and to fulfill His promise of who Jesus would be and who Jesus was going, was going to, what He was going to do. God's fulfilling Scripture, fulfilling His plan right there. This rich man, Joseph, takes his own tomb that had never been used, a tomb that was fit for a king. The intent for the Romans was that he would die like that Jesus would die like a criminal. That was the intent of the Jews. But instead, he was buried in the tomb of a rich man that had never been used, the type of tomb that would have been used for a king, a high-ranking person. John chapter 19 verse 38 and after these things Joseph of Arimathea who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and he took away his body. Nicodemus, also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus, they bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is burial custom of the Jews, and now in the place where, they, where he was crucified, look at this, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which one, no one had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Joseph, the secret follower of Jesus, made this incredible leap of faith, asked for the body of Jesus. This learner, this man who had heard about Jesus, now he steps out and he is changed. He's not really afraid of what Pilate might say. And it's kind of strange that, that Joseph, this secret follower, is also 
teamed up with another man of that council named Nicodemus. Now, what about Nicodemus? He was that secret follower as well. He came to Jesus in the middle of the night asking him about what it took to get into the kingdom of God. He was scared of the Jews. And now you see these men who had secretly followed Jesus, secretly had their their eyes set on just just kind of a seeker-friendly type of a situation. They were just seeking. I don't know if I'm going to try Jesus. I think I like it, but I'm not sure. At this moment, Nicodemus and Joseph, they're all in. And they begin to prepare the body. They bring this mixture of aloes and, and myrrh, this... It was, it was gummy resin that, that myrrh is, is crushed into, and they crush it into powder, and they spread it over the body to, to give fragrance to a decomposing body and to absorb some of the fluids of, of a body that's decomposing. They, they use these aloes made out of, made out of a, 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 a tree, and they would put those over the body, wrap those to keep the smell uh, to a minimum, and the Bible says here that he used 75 pounds. Let me tell you, friends, that is a lot of spice and aloe. Matter of fact, Nicodemus, it set him back tremendously. Why? Because the amount that they used was the amount that you would use for a dignitary, a king. And then I want you to look at verse 41 again. The place where he was crucified there was a garden. God providentially gives Jesus a king's burial. You see, that's what that second point is. God was seeking to fulfill his word so that he might honor Jesus. He wanted to honor Jesus as a king and show that this man who was born in this small, inconspicuous circumstances was truly the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so in that little garden, there was a new tomb. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. God arranges for a rich man who is secretly a follower of Jesus to own a garden that had a sheer wall of rock in the same place in proximity to where the Romans would randomly crucify Jesus. In this garden, there was a tomb. Joseph didn't buy that garden that week he had owned it for quite some time and we know that because he didn't get his chisel and hammer out the day before and start carving out a tomb it took years it takes years to carve out out of sheer rock a hole big enough for adults to go in not just for one individual but for multiple bodies to be laid in with shelves carved out so that they could hold the ossuaries that so when a person uh, was decomposed they would take their bones and place them in a little box little ossuary and they would put that on the shelf in the tomb waiting for the next individual to go in there my friends thank god jesus never needed a little box a little ossuary his bones were never intended to be left in that tomb and placed in a box hallelujah 
But long ago, Joseph started chiseling out that tomb. And I can just see it. Chiseling on that tomb. Oh, man, this is going to be a nice place one of these days for my family. We're gonna, they're going to remember us. It's a beautiful garden. What an incredible tomb. Place for a tomb. I'm sure that as a young man, Joseph, chiseling out that, that rock and looking at his, at his tomb, he's thinking, man, this is going to be in my family for history on end. They're going to remember us. What Joseph didn't realize is they wouldn't remember him and his family for owning that garden. They would remember the tomb of, because of the person that was laid in that tomb. It had nobody from Arimathea in that tomb. It had Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was placed in that tomb. My friends, listen. I don't know what you're doing in your life right now. You may feel like you're just chiseling on a rock wall. You feel like that you're just going to work nine to five, just busting out that rock, just thinking, man, I'm just trying to make a living, make my life worth something, just trying to help my family. But what you don't understand is that God is providentially working in your life and you don't know that what you are doing on one particular day on a Tuesday or a Friday that it could have ramifications all the way down the line because God is working in you. He's working in you whether you are aware of it or not. So why should, what should we do? Well, you should watch what you say. You should watch how you live because you don't know what God is going to do in your life to use for His glory. God's at work, and He wants to honor Jesus, and He wants to honor Jesus in your life. That's what He's doing. Joseph was honoring the Lord. He honored Jesus. God started working in your life and in my life a long time ago. God was working in my life as a child. Many of you know that same story. I'll never forget the first time I stood behind a pulpit and sang a song in church. I was six years old. They had to pull a chair up behind the pulpit so I could see over. That was back in the days when they didn't have the see-throughs. It was these big old huge desks. They looked like, looked like a car sitting up there with a table on top. Huge. And I stood up behind that pulpit that day and I remember the song that I sang. I sang that song, He's Still Working on Me. Man, I was a little guy, but I can just tell you 40 plus years down the road, He's still working on me. He's still making plans for my life. He's still making plans for your life. I don't know how old you are or how young you are, but God has a plan for your life, and He is working it out every day. You go to work, every meal that you have with your family, every time that you talk to somebody on the phone, God is providentially weaving your life together to accomplish His will. What an encouraging thought that you're just not mucking your way through life, but God as a child, as a believer of, of God, you are being led by God to accomplish His will and for His glory. Finally, Matthew chapter 27, I close with this. Verse 62, And the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and said, Sir, 
we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, that after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. These conniving people. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. And so they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Pilate tells them to take a guard and make it secure. God is providentially working even in people who oppose Him. Let me just encourage you this morning. There may be people who, are, who oppose you. You could even consider them enemies. But God can work in their life in such a way that His will is accomplished not just in their life, but in yours as well. God works through the enemies of those people who hate Him in order to accomplish His will. And in doing so, what He does is He validates the resurrection. Hey, set some guards, protect that tomb, guard it so that they don't say any falsehoods. Make it secure. Have soldiers stand there. We want to make sure that Jesus doesn't claim to be risen from the dead. We're going to verify this. There are times when the Lord will allow you and I to, be feel, to feel like we've just been hemmed in, roadblocked, surrounded on all sides, like the stone has been set in front of us and it's impossible to be moved. It's guarded by the enemies of God. And if you don't feel like that you have a way out, my friend, in doing so, what has happened when the world comes and stands against you, all it is is God is validating His and setting the stage for the great miracle of resurrection to take place in your life and in mine. That's exactly what happened at the tomb of Jesus. When the soldiers stood guard, all they were doing, they were just stooges. They were just pawns waiting for God's miraculous hand of providence to remove that stone and show them that it wasn't their security or their power that they really didn't have Jesus blocked off and blocked in but that Jesus was going to come out of that grave no matter if they set an entire army outside the, the, the wall of that, of that tomb and placed a hundred stones in front of it Jesus was going to come out because God's will would be accomplished according to His word no matter what the world does or tries to set up against you, no matter how you feel like your world is just kind of pressed in against you, friends, take heart this morning to know that God is just setting a stage providentially, maybe through a course over the course of time in your life, but God is setting a stage for Him to show Himself alive in you, alive in you, alive in your life. He is setting the stage to validate that it was Him and not anybody else. It's about Him. And so the Lord is working to validate the resurrection. 
in your life just as he did the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know where God is working in your life. But I do know this, that God fulfills his word providentially in us. Whatever promise he's made, he's obligated to. We don't have to twist his arm. He's more than happy to fulfill his word in your life. The Lord is also going to fulfill the honor that he bestows on Jesus Christ. We live in a world right now where the name of Jesus is scorned. I hear, I've heard all kinds of curse words, but when people use the literal name of Jesus in an unholy manner, it runs through me like hot oil. Because they're speaking of my Savior. Let me tell you, Jesus is worthy of the honor. And He wants you to honor Him in your life, in your speech, in your actions, in your walk. If you're not honoring Jesus, my friend, you're on dangerous ground. The Lord's going to fulfill that resurrection as just as He did with Jesus. He's going to show you that life can come even in the midst of the darkest of dark nights. Even when the challenges of life come against you in an incredible, impossible way, you, you, you see no way out. It's the power of God that's going to roll the stone back for you. And He's going to show you His glory. And we'll all rejoice with you because of what God is doing in your life. So as He proves that His claims, I want to just say this. Most of these people, Joseph, the soldiers, the guards, Pilate, to be honest, most of them were really unaware of God's working in their life. Joseph didn't have any idea when he bought that garden what it would be used for. He had no idea as he chiseled out that tomb who would actually lay in that tomb. When the soldiers signed on to be a part of the Roman regiment, they didn't have any any idea who they would crucify on the cross and that they wouldn't use a mallet to break his legs, that they would pierce his side. They had no idea that they were fulfilling the Word of God providentially through their own lives. But looking back, many of us, as we've seen God's hand in our life, so often we can look in the rearview mirror of our life and we can say, wow, Look what you did. We used to sing that song, Look What the Lord Has Done. We sing that because usually we don't see it when it's happening, but we can see it when it's over. There's no doubt when the Lord saves somebody, you can just say, look what the Lord has done. There's no doubt when God miraculously performs a miracle in front of us, oh, look what the Lord has done. Sometimes we just don't see it. So I just want to encourage you this morning. God is at work in your life, whether you see it or not. God's at work providing for you, leading you, sustaining your life, touching your body, reaching your children, 
grandchildren, parents, sisters, brothers, friends, neighbors. God is at work. He's using you to accomplish His will. So this morning as we pray, I'm going to open the altars. And if you just need to be reminded of that fact today, you just need the Lord to reaffirm in your heart, and you need to reaffirm to Him your trust that you are working, Lord, that you are using me and guiding my life. And the altars will be open. I want you to come and just take a few moments and say, Lord, once again, I just give my life as an offering to you, Lord. I, I put my trust in you. I know that you're working. Encourage my heart today. And what you're going to notice is that the presence of the Holy Spirit is just going to sweep in and there's going to be just this incredible lifting of your spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to encourage you and maybe even begin to show you how God is providentially working in your life. And the puzzle pieces will start to kind of come together and you'll see, oh Lord, thank you so much. I'll give you that opportunity to just reaffirm that. So I'd like for you to stand with me. Could you and Sydney move those elements up on the black? Thank you. Would you help me, Maria? As you bow your heads this morning, I'd like for us to do something today. I want to pray for you, and I want to open the altars. And I want you to come, and I want you to just say, Lord, I trust you. Some of you are dealing with some things in your life. You don't know what the answer is. God hadn't revealed it to you yet, but I want you to know God's at work. So trust Him. Trust Him. Maybe you may be like Les, you're trying to figure out what your job, career, whatever that's going to be. Don't, don't, don't fret over that. The Lord's got His plan for you. And every day, He's moving you closer to that. Don't fear for your family. The Lord's, the Lord's taking care of them. Continue to stand on, your, on His Word. So as I pray, I want you to come. I invite you to come to one of these altars. And I want you to spend some time with the Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your incredible, incredible supernatural power that works within your people. Thank you for those miraculous moments, Lord, in our life, Lord, that astound us and, Lord, give us awe. Things that, Lord God, we see you do. Lord, I also thank you, Lord, for this supernatural work of your providential direction, Lord, that guides our lives on a daily basis. I pray that, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to once again, Lord, just put our trust in you to know that, Lord, you are leading us, you are guiding us. As you led Jesus into Jerusalem so long ago, and you concluded that week with him being raised from the dead, Lord, I pray that you would continue, Lord, to use our lives to accomplish your work. Let your will be done in us as it is done, Lord, in heaven. We honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.